Hi, this is Doug Howarth, uh, founder of Hypernomics Inc., discoverer of the phenomenon known as hypernomics. I'm a patent holder, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Collect and trade officially licensed digital player cards. Create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. Yes, SoRare is a game that you can play this season and the next and the next and the next. It's almost like a, a dynasty spin on fantasy. It's available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the world game. So what are you waiting for? Get involved. Get in the game. Get some cards. And have some fun. Oh, did I tell you it's free, by the way? Yes. You just sign up, create an account, and then you can start playing. And if you want to go a little bit harder and purchase some limited, rare, or unique cards, you can do that too. But at a base level, this is really just a free, fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports because process podcasters we know our thing but so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room so hit the link in the show notes and we'll see you on so rare oh your game welcome back to the process podcasters i'm your co-host mr neolos bruce and i am joined by the talented mr kobe Laurent, aka kobe kobe how you doing pretty good i feel pretty handsome lately so Whatever helps you get through the Denver Broncos season. That's right. You do, you do what you need to do. And we are, we are going to be talking football today. We're going to be, actually, it's going to be a fun interview. It's going to be the intersection of sports, one of my passions, obviously. And uh, one of the things I studied back in the day in university, economics, we have someone who's an inventor, entrepreneur, academic, and he's going to teach us everything about hyponomics. You may not have heard of it, but by the end of this interview, you're going to be schooled up and you would have, you'd be a little <laughs> bit smarter for it. It is Mr. Doug Howarth. Doug, how are you doing? Gentlemen, thank you so much. I'm doing fabulous. Thank you for having me on your show. I really like the breadth of the topics you gentlemen discuss, so it's great. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on, Doug. So, I guess, what inspired the, the hyponomics model that you've, you've come up with? The story goes, and it's kind of a just a moment of inspiration, actually. I was watching my wife buy a washing machine, of all things, and uh, we went into a big box store here, and she said, you know, we need to have more, a larger drum than we have at home. We need more capacity. So I thought capacity versus price, and I said, well, that's a, that's a two-dimensional problem. And then she said, we only have one delicate cycle at home. I need more cycles. And I thought, well, that's cycles versus price. So she just added the third dimension. So we liked the machine we were looking at. And I, I saw the next one up the line, which was, had more of everything. 
And I said, well, what about this one? And she said, it's too expensive. Uh, we can't afford it. And then I realized that she was working. A, so we were part of the quantity term. How many people are going to buy that particular model versus any other model that was in the store or nationwide? So that was quantity versus price. So we, had, we were looking at capacity, cycles, price, and quantity. So she was doing a 4D model in her head. And um, I raced home and started you know, figuring out ways to plot that and uh, figured out how to do that. And it turns out that most markets, well, all mature markets, uh, basically self-aggregate in ways that you can describe in, in this opposing system where you've got the, val the value of a product on one side. So the in the washing machines, it would be the capacity and the cycles versus the demand on the other side, how many were going to be sold. Now, interestingly, what I discovered <clears throat> as it applies to the NFL, it also works for wide receivers. And the thing I thought was interesting was that, uh, now you guys are quite a bit younger than I am, but I, I remember as, as a kid watching Rocky Blyer um, lead the, yep, the Steelers. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Jeez. You got some football history going on. With you guys. That's great. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I, I thought maybe you would have, you would know that, but I, I didn't want to dare just assume that. That's great. Well, Rocky Blyer, uh, as, as your hosts know, yeah, came to the Pittsburgh Steelers from Notre Dame. Uh, Rocky played for a year, and then he was drafted. This is in the late 60s, and he decided to volunteer for duty in Vietnam. And uh, he got hurt. First, his, he got a, uh, took some shrapnel to his thigh, and then just seconds later, he took a, a very large blast that tore off part of his foot. And uh, he was in the hospital for years, and... Um, Art Rooney was who was who had owned the Steelers, the Steelers for geez decades. Owned him back then, and asked Rocky to come join the team again. And Rocky came back, but he was thirty pounds below his playing weight, and he didn't get very much playing time for a year or two. And and then finally, after I think three years of just kind of not playing very well and being underweight and everything, he decided that he said he didn't want to give himself any more what ifs in life, and so. Rocky, who had been um, a 212-pound running back with a 4.840 out of college, worked really hard and came back to the Steelers a few years after his injury. And he came back into camp at his playing weight, and he ran a 4.640, a full two-tenths of a second faster than he ever run before on a foot that had been partially blown apart. So um, I asked myself the question, well, what would happen in the modern NFL if you were faster. And so I, I, I looked at the position that I thought, one of the positions I thought was highly dependent on speed, which is the wide receivers. And so I, trying to get the rookie contracts out of the way, I took anybody that was, I, I basically solved for trying to figure out, well, what's a player worth who's 26 years old or older and has uh, an average of, I think it was four catches a game. And it turned out that if you had four catches a game and you could run a four six five forty, you were worth six million dollars on average. But if you could run a four four forty, a full quarter second faster, you'd be worth ten million dollars, wow. two thirds more. 
And so what's interesting is, is that the, the value of a wide receiver is a function of how many receptions he makes and how fast he is. Because if he's fast, he can, he can break away and, and make the big play for you. So it turns out that this, this, this tool that we've come up with can help, um, help sports. So the thing I've been watching lately, I, I'm a big football fan. I know you guys are too. And I was pulling for both the USFL and the XFL to do really well. And if you've been watching some of the games, I think outside of St. Louis, and I forget if they have an XFL team or a USFL team, but you know, very few of the games have as many as 10,000 people in the stands. Mostly are, are down a few thousands. And what this tells me is that they're overpricing the tickets. What they need to do is they need to drop the ticket prices, get people in to fill the stands, which would make more people want to see the game because it looks like the game's popular. And... They wouldn't have that much more cost by bringing in the people in, but they would get the revenue for the people having concessions and everything and would recognize that the USFL and the XFL can't command the prices that the NFL does yet, but they ought to, you know, take a good hard look at what their pricing structure is to make it such that, that they can start to approach the kind of prices that the other leagues get. So, um, so it's a, it's a technique that, um, I know you said, Nee, that you, you went back and you studied this in school, that you probably learned the law of supply and demand, I'm sure, right? That would have been mm -hmm. something. Yes. Well, this, this new field of study basically looks at what we call the law of value and demand, and it only has 13 words to it, so it's pretty, pretty straightforward, but the 13 words kind of go like this. There's four pieces, 13 words. Of, so the first clause is the features. That is, features of a product. So your wide receiver, maybe the receptions and speed. Features determine value. Value determines price. Price limits quantity sold. And quantity sold is a feature. And so people say to me, well, Doug, it's, it's circular. And I go, well, it's always been circular. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It, um, it, these, the opposing forces of what we call value, which basically in, in our vernacular means what something is worth based on what people are willing to pay for it. Value opposes demand. Uh, value can keep going up for, I guess, in the NFL, if you're a better and better player, the value will keep going up. But then there is a demand function that says, well, you only can have maybe one Lamar Jackson and one Aaron Rodgers in the league, and you're going to have more, more people that are going to be down towards the rookie minimum. And this studies that and tries to work out ways for you to optimize what it is that you're trying to do. So if you're working with a salary cap, this could help you work out what to get with your salary cap, for example. Ah, yes. Now I'm starting to think of Moneyball and other things. Yes, but, uh... in fact, it's very well related to Moneyball. So if you take the Moneyball quote that the... Um, Peter Brandt character had in there where he's talking to the uh, Brad Pitt character and he, at a certain point he's sitting at a grease board telling him we're all trying to get it down to one number and figure out if somebody is undervalued and in the case of Moneyball that one number was on base percentage in our case like for example if we apply this to stocks which we do we see if the stock is undervalued to what our Equations suggest that it's worth based on what all the other stocks are worth. And so we, we use it for that technique. So as of close of business today, 
Uh, we've been applying this to the S&P 500 since February 2020, so over three and a half years. And we are doing 2.3 times as well as the S&P 500 using only S&P 500 stocks and this technique. So seems to work. Yeah. Pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we're talking dollars and cents. We're talking value. Is this something that you think you could apply to play uh, value? You know, I, that's an excellent question. I hadn't thought of that. I suppose you mean like choosing a play in an NFL game? Like Correct. Which, which, which play? Um, that's an astonishingly interesting question. I don't have an answer. I think it'd have to be. One of the things that we discovered, you're talking about physical behavior now. And so I was challenged by some friends of mine to take this model and apply it to COVID. And I discovered that you know, in a market, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out what they call the, uh, what you're trying to solve for typically is the price. So you're trying to solve for the price of a stock, for example, if you're doing that. Or in Moneyball, they're trying to solve for the price of a player and see if he was underpriced. Mm-hmm. And so in COVID, COVID was trying to solve for increasing the number of cases that it had. And so in April of 2020, we did a little study where we looked at the number of cases. And we discovered that the cases were correlated to the, so we looked at different countries and we just basically took the number of cases by country. And so we would, we were trying to solve for country, the cases by country. And it turned out that the countries that were more densely populated in April of 2020 had more COVID cases. Now that was completely expected. I mean, basically the denser population, the more proximity you have to people that might have germs. But what was unexpected was that the the other form of transmission turned out to be that the more the wealthier countries were adding quite a bit of cases to the to the mix, and it turned out that what was likely happening there was two things: one was the wealthier countries had more money and they were they had more access to travel, so they're traveling more frequently, which took the the covid virus from place to place more readily. So that that started to crank up the uh, number of cases. And then it turned out, too, that there was an upper bound to the number of cases that was that basically said that the countries in the in the temperate zone, northern temperate zone, not the southern temperate zone, like you're from there and not me, but uh, the the upper temperate zone. So United States, Great Britain, a bunch of European countries such as Belgium and France that that term formed the upper limit to the to the virus early on, but the lower limit to the virus was formed by a bunch of countries in Africa, and so it, it turned out that they had the lowest infection rate of anybody early on in this this epidemic. So that was you know four different things that we saw for a physical thing. So back to your question, Colby, I, I believe it could be possible to apply these techniques to calling plays you'd also have to probably put in some other types of math so that you wouldn't make it as predictable you'd probably have to put some sort of uh random feature on that Mm -hmm. but yeah i think you could probably apply that to working out uh plays so for example the you know misdirection gets you something in the nfl overpowering 
as we've seen here with uh, the Eagles and Jalen Hurts. I mean, yeah, now there's some there's some interesting math going on where he's 97 percent effective on fourth down. So that there's they, they've worked out some interesting stuff there. But I think, yeah, it could probably be applied to that. I just haven't thought about how to do it. But that's a fascinating topic and uh, completely worthy of a deep, deep dive and in, in, in thought there. So um, I'll have to see if I can get into that. That's that's fabulous. I appreciate the uh, the insight. Thank you. Now, staying with your original example, you're talking wide receivers and the value applied there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you come across any wide receivers that you think are significantly undervalued or overvalued? Um, I'd have to go back and look at the data, but sure, there were several that were undervalued back when we did the studies. Basically, when you do a study like this, you'll always find somebody that's or something that is overvalued and something that is undervalued and that's kind of the the whole it's the point right that's the whole point yes to be able to figure that out this would be something this would be an approach if you do fantasy football this would show you who's undervalued for you know creating fantasy points um if you're buying a team that would show you who's undervalued relative to making a catch so for example famously in moneyball the david justice who is part of the Oakland A's during in that film who had half his salary paid for by the Yankees. Yeah. Well, he was undervalued to the, to the A's because they were getting somebody that was worth a whole lot more money than the A's had to pay for him. And so the idea would be to figure out who's undervalued. I mean, typically in the NFL, we've seen this especially happen with running backs. As you know, the running back position in the NFL is, very, very tough on people, and um, it's very hard to be a back in the league for for five years. But you know, somebody like Frank Gore, Frank Gore, towards the end of his career, and he had a tremendous career. But I, I believe he was probably undervalued because he had been playing for so long. I don't think people thought he could keep producing the way he did. So That's right. I'm pretty sure he was undervalued towards the end. Now I would, I'd have to go out and test for that, but. Um, that's kind of the whole point is that um, that uh, there's a way to you know to actually solve for what what's going on here and we need to be able to do that for you know not only the um, the markets like that we're looking at or a, or a business we need to also be able to do that for sports sports would really benefit a great deal I believe by doing this. So another thing that could, I know you like to say no sport left behind. So I, I'm, I'm imagining you, both of you know a little bit about, or maybe a lot about the uh, Tour de France, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Clubby loves cycling. Him and okay. his wife are always on the bikes. Okay. Well, you can imagine, you know, the, and this gets back to me, what you were talking about. You've seen demand curves before. So you've seen demand curves for products. Well, imagine a, if we apply this, like we said, we applied it to, we applied it to COVID. So imagine instead of solving for dollars and we solve for cases with COVID, imagine if we solve for something called Watts yeah, mm. for, with, for cycling. And so you, you made the, the, the thing that you're going to solve for is, is going to be Watts every time. So it turns out on a demand basis, there's, as you might know, somebody like uh, the, the top cyclists can put out over 1500 Watts for about 20 seconds. I mean, that's over two horsepower. 
And at the same time, these some of these same cyclists can put out 200 watts for six hours. And so somewhere between this this figure of putting out 1,500 watts for 20 seconds and 200 watts for six hours, there's this long curve that describes what people could do. Now, if you take that curve and then you'd say, well, what's supporting that? And so basically these athletes have to be able to transport oxygen. And of course, I think you, most of us that are probably listening to this or watch, watch cycling knew that there had been some allegations of and discoveries about people using something called EPO, which actually help people transport oxygen more readily to their muscles. And so your ability to create power is a function of how much oxygen you can get to your muscles and probably your how much muscle mass you have on board or your power to weight ratio. So if you're 95% muscle and weigh 125 pounds, you probably have a better power to weight ratio than if somebody's 90% muscle and they weigh 150 pounds. So they, they would have a different output. And so what you could do is probably measure the outputs of people relative to their power to weight ratio and their ability to transport oxygen and basically figure out if you're a trainer, you could figure out how best to use your athletes throughout both the course of a race and the course of an entire tour to figure out how to maximize results by taking advantage of the, the, uh, interaction between what you can do and how much, how much power you have to be able to do it. And so that, that's, that's kind of where that would go there. So yeah, that would also be a, an interesting place to study would be to, to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Now, just staying with cycling for a moment, even at the, the, I guess you could say the, the consumer level, is the, the hyponomics model seem that could be applied to, say, those that use apps like Zwift and Peloton? Is there a way to optimize their performance? Oh, I'm sure. I, I haven't tried it yet, but yeah, I'm sure you could work out something to optimize that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Nice one. Yeah, because you're you're solving for you're you're solving for watts, and, and that that's something you could work out. Now, Doug, do you follow golf at all? I do. Yeah, I follow golf. Have you heard of Sport Trade? No, I haven't heard of that. What's what's that? Okay, so I, I believe it began with golf. I, I follow golf. I've followed golf for quite some time, and have a golfer. So instead of the traditional betting model, Sport Trade has applied the stock model to golf oh, really so what it does it assigns each golfer a value based on their performance their past performances uh-huh and then you can buy shares in that golfer <laughs> and if they exceed their average performances the shares go up so you trade shares on this market the sport trade market and it all comes down to how well you can predict a a high point for golfers and a low points for golfers. You can buy and and it's always on. It's not like a traditional betting model where you make your bet and you wait for the result. It's wow. always on. So the middle of a, an event, you know, the guy guy hits an eagle. You could decide to sell because suddenly it feels like he's worth more. <laughs> That's fabulous. Yeah. So I think I actually think your model would do a good job of assessing the value of the player. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think it would. So that's uh, and then try and figure out which players are undervalued based on just their current performances. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that was so that, that's one I think you should look at. It's one I, I I actually don't do it. I've been tempted to get into it, but I've been looking at it more and more and trying to. I've been trying to break the <laughs> the model, so I think it's it's I think it's one that can be broken because it's so new. I'm sure they're using some kind of algorithm. I just don't know how how bang on it is. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I'm sure that there'd be a way to get into that 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 would increase your your probability of success with something like that. So that would be. That would be great, yeah. Yeah, like uh, the I did a I did a little write up on it uh, last year, previous to the uh, the Dell match play. Uh huh. Because I already know there are certain players that just perform better in a match play style event than they do in a standard event. Uh huh. And their model didn't really account for that, so it undervalued certain players. That I, when when it comes to match play, I'll bet on them every time. Uh huh. And as a result, those all those stocks went up. I should have played it myself. Wow. <laughs> right? I should have done it myself. Sure. But wow. it was something that it, it occurred to me when it came about that it didn't really change due to the format. It huh. only looked at past and recent performance. Sure. Right? So I think it's I think it's I just think your model, the way it sounds, the way you kind of reduce it to certain values within a player, that it would probably work. It should do that, yeah. That's exactly what it should do. So um now have you been approached by any teams directly? No, no. We would uh we'd welcome the chance to be able to do this. The thing I think the thing we could do for a team is imagine a team doesn't have very much attendance. Mm-hmm. So you you could imagine well you could imagine what we do is one of the things we look at is the there's a, a limit that forms for demand in any one market and it's called uh the demand frontier and you can imagine that there's a certain number of seats you know, every every stadium has a certain number of seats and they've got a price per seat now if you're you know if you're in green bay the seats are sold out now they're sold out for the game but they're sold out in perpetuity for decades and so you you don't have to worry about the seats being filled there but imagine if you're an xfl team and you don't have the the, the seats filled you need to figure out ways to get people in the seats. And so what this would be good for would be able to figure out for a company or a team rather, the best way to fill the seats by dropping the prices so that you could get enough people in the stadium so that you can start making money. Yeah, you figure out almost your, your break even point. Yes, exactly. Right. There's you know, there's a certain cost to keeping all the seats open. But if you've got a stadium that holds a lot of these stadiums that they go to are you know, college stadiums and they hold 40, 50, 60,000 people. But when they only have, you know, a few thousand in the, in the, in the uh, stands, that's not going to be enough for them to effectively make money. And they need to be able to make money by, by, um, you know, selling out the seats and getting the revenue from the concessions and they it would be interesting to work out what that what that would be so there's in, in, in demand there's what we call the upper limit there's how much somebody's willing to be able to pay for the for the ticket based on the price and there's something we call the outer limit which is at a certain point the market gets completely saturated so you can imagine something as simple as socks i mean socks are very cheap but if you took socks down to a dime <clears throat> there's only so many socks that the world can buy and so if socks were a dime instead of say two or three bucks, you wouldn't sell too many more socks at a dime because the world's got enough socks. And so yeah. 
we'd have to look at the at the stadium capacities to figure out what they could do to to make that work out better for them. And um, but yeah, that's something that we that the uh, that the technology ought to offer these people that they don't have now. So yeah, that's an excellent question. Right on. Yeah. Now, being in Canada and specifically in Toronto, I think there's a definite opportunity for hypernomics with the CFL. I don't know how close you follow the CFL, but there are some teams that have a good on-field product, uh-huh. but they just can't put the bums on the seats. They they just need to get that optimization with the attendance going. So I, I can definitely see an opportunity with that side of things. Like you could probably find some value in terms of identifying players even that are undervalued in the CFL. It's a, uh, Hyponomics sounds very intriguing from that regard. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we could help the CFL. We, we just haven't been approached. I don't think people know. I mean, I, uh, as you may know from from our your, your interactions with my, my agent, we've, I've got a book coming out in January. In fact, it's available for pre-order now on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble entitled Hypernomics Using Hidden Dimensions to Solve Unseen Problems. I'm hopeful that some pla- that you know places like Canadian football might actually see this and say, well, we've got a problem that we actually do see. We don't have any, we don't have bums in the seats, to use your term there. And we need to get bums in the seats. And to be able to get the bums in the seats, we need to figure out what we're, what we could do to improve that. And if it's either more promotions or, or, uh, special on concessions once they get in or dropping the price. All of those things would have to be examined to be able to help the team do better than it's been doing before. And um, all of which I believe is possible with this. And uh, so we, we haven't, we have, again, we, we haven't had the opportunity to do that, but it seems like that would be fascinating if we had, it did have the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's more opportunities that will come during this winter and look forward to seeing how those those manifest. Doug, where can we find out more about hypernomics? Well, you can find out about hypernomics from our website, which is www.hypernomics.com. So that's H-Y-P-E-R-N-O-M-I-C-S.com, hypernomics.com. You can find out a little bit about that from looking at my website, which is DougHoworth.com. That's D-O-U-G-H-O-W-A-R-T-H.com. And also, I've got a bunch of stuff on the website and also on my LinkedIn file that shows you some of the, the things that we've done to dive deeply into topics ranging from the NFL to COVID to optimizing you know, the revenues for a, re- a restaurant down the street or calling out a billionaire for making the wrong jet aircraft. So there's a bunch of ways that this can be applied. And, and we think a lot of people will get a lot of benefit out of this, this study. So Interesting. So, so a billionaire has created the wrong jet aircraft. Just, <laughs> I was, I was going to ask yes. which billionaire, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you which billionaire. I already called him out. I'm, oh, okay. I, you know, it was... Uh, there was a Robert Bass, uh, one of the Bass brothers out of Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, he decided he was going to build a supersonic business jet. And so they started their, their, their 
now current, well, I should say then current design in 2014, uh, the company was called Arion, A-E-R-I-O-N, Arion, and they were building something called the AS2, and the plane was going to go close to 1,000 miles an hour, and we're going to carry uh, 8 to 12 people, and you know, go three or 4,000 miles. And so they put up a development cost for this thing, and one of the things I did in previous life was look at cost, and, and you know, development cost looked like it was reasonable, so you know, that, that, that was a check, check box. And then, as I told you, we work out the value of a product, and so they're going to sell this thing for 120 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's worth you know, it's worth maybe as much as 150 million. So it's worth every penny. But then, then they said, well, you know, we're going to sell 300 of these things in a decade, and 500 overall. And I said, let me take a look at that. So in 2014, they had 20 orders, and then in five years, well, uh, five years later. They still had the same 20 orders, so I wrote a thing on LinkedIn that read, worth every penny, not enough pennies. Yeah. And in that, I basically said, there's not enough pennies in the world for the, the world to buy the quantities that these guys need. And so I got this very angry <laughs> reply on LinkedIn from a guy I knew. I actually used to work with this guy from Lockheed. He said, ah, you're all wet. You're all wet, Doug. We just got this big order in. And it was, it, what they didn't tell me was in, in aerospace, these were all options. It's like... Uh, you know, it's like taking an option on somebody's contract in the NFL. It's not yeah. real. You know, I got an option for my 12th year. Yeah, okay, great. So they had all these options. They go, oh, good for you. You're still not going to make it. And so they stopped, you know, and then six months later, they went bankrupt. And uh, they stopped writing me, surprisingly. And so, oh, yeah. uh, but the point was that had you had they done this analysis, they could have stopped. They could have prevented. Basically, they took. If you can imagine collecting a whole bunch of bills together in a big pile, a billion dollars worth of bills, and just throwing a match on it and lighting it on fire, they might as well just have done that because yeah. uh, there was no way in the world they were going to be able to make that. This is the same thing that happened to the Concorde decades earlier. The Concorde wanted to sell three hundred planes too, and they sold twenty. The same limits were in action that they that the that the uh, the builders of the Concorde didn't understand, and then the builders of Arion failed to take a look at, and so it's a ubiquitous phenomenon, gentlemen, that uh, will be studied from here forward. Uh, I'm glad I'm uh, a big part of it, but um, you know, it's, it's a lot bigger than me. I just I've found out a few things, but people are going to find out a lot about how the world works using this technique and. Um, you got time for one more story? I can tell you how it relates to, to biology. You want to hear about that? I, I do. I do. Before you get to that, though, just yeah. in situations where people tend to look beyond reach, right? I find it's the people looking, their reach is beyond the average. Yeah, that's true. Sure. Right? Sure. So you, you see things the way your life looks at them. Right. right. Right? So I think in those situations where someone thinks, oh, yeah, we can sell. <laughs> 300 or 500, 150 million dollar jets for six. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, that's what we're issue, trying to do, right? yeah, we're trying to look at the way the world looks at the world. That, 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 if you want to use your vernacular there. Yes. And, and so one day I found myself, you know, I, 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 I'm very much a physical fitness fanatic because I know both of you gentlemen are because I can see you're really fit. So I was at the end of a trail run about two months ago. 
And uh, I decided to do something that Richard Feynman, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, would often do. He, for giggles, sometimes Dr. Feynman would just study ants just for the drill of it, right? Okay. So I found myself at the end of the trail, and I looked down, and I saw this, this one little ant. And I, I watched him. He was kind of making this jagged left-hand turn. He was going counterclockwise, little jagged bits. And by the time, you know, after about a few seconds had gone, maybe, by maybe 30 seconds, he had made about a 360-degree loop. But he started, where he started was not where he finished. He was out a little bit wider than he started. And then I watched this guy do another little loop like this, and he was wider still. And then he did a third one. So he's, he's creating this big spiral. And I said to myself, that little guy is doing reconnaissance. So I raced back home, and I typed in ant reconnaissance into Google, which you guys could do, and you could find out that, as I did, that ants do recon. And what are they doing recon for? Well, they want to find an open space where there's no other ants. Now, if this sounds familiar, this is exactly what Mark people want to do when they sell a product, which is what this does, is it helps create a map. And so these little ants actually try to solve for finding a space that's away from other colonies, and then they try to work out a place where the the, the potential nest is going to be dry and cool and near food supplies, just like people would do. And so... My, my contention is that what we've discovered here about modern human behavior is probably applied to the first humans. It, if it applies to ants, and this particular species of ants has lived for 40 million years or more, if it applies to ants, it applies to humans. So that's what we're, uh, we're very certain that this is a ubiquitous phenomenon, and um, this is something that people need to understand to be able to help help them move forward in a whole bunch of different realms, including sports, which you guys like to look at. If you send Indeed. me your, your emails, I, I'll, I'll, I'll send you this analysis and show you who I think is undervalued. This is from 2019, but you get the idea of what this thing can do. hundred percent. Send it to us. Yeah. I mean, cause you see it's, I mean, Kobe, you see it so often you might, somewhat, you might agree or disagree that perhaps Russell Wilson might be, <laughs> may have been overpaid based on a, you know, mispricing of his value or mis right. sorry, misassessment of his value by um, Denver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had to go there. Yeah. I had to go there. <laughs> but okay, fine. Kobe, the, the 49ers overvalued <laughs> their assessment of Trey Lance <laughs> yes, they did. and overpaid right. when they traded up for him. There you go. See, yeah, <laughs> I think Brock Purdy might be a, might have been undervalued come last year. What do you think? Ah, so now that's right. hyponomics. That's yeah. hyponomics. Last pick of the draft, right? They've yeah. they've got they've got their value for money. They could trade him away now, and they're they're in profit for sure. I mean, exactly. Like yeah, Sam Donald might be playing in week eight, but they got their right. value for money there. Right. Exactly. Be interesting. Be interesting to look at what Aaron Rodgers will be worth now that the Achilles injury has happened. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's something we haven't thrown into the mix, but yeah, that that would be interesting. Now, Kobe Bryant fa fa famously came back pretty well from a you know torn Achilles, so some people do pretty well with it, and uh, but it is a big injury. So, um, oh, right on, Doug. Good talking, okay. to you, buddy. 
Well, yeah, I've enjoyed this immensely, gentlemen. So I, I think through my agent, you've got my email address. So if you yes. email me, I'll email you back and show you the results of this and tell you who who came up uh, undervalued and overvalued in 2019. Right on. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, post we'll, post on, yeah, we'll post that on social media for sure. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.